What can government and corporate executives who want to prepare for a crisis learn from how the Federal Emergency Management Agency does its job? I'm Edward Siegel, author of the best-selling and award-winning book, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare for and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies. In December 2022, President Joe Biden signed a new law that seeks to ensure that all federal agencies are ready to bounce back from a weather-related crisis that impacts government property. The measure was a timely reminder for business leaders about the importance of having an updated crisis management place for their organizations. The executive should also immediately have access to all the resources they need to help manage any type of crisis. Federal agencies, such as FEMA, are often among the first to help companies and organizations recover from natural disasters. Indeed, the people at FEMA may have more experience responding to a variety of crisis situations than others in the government and private sectors. The list of disasters FEMA has dealt with includes floods, landslides, winter storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, and earthquakes. Aaron Levy is the director of the agency's Individual and Community Preparedness Division, where he oversees partnership programs at all levels of the government, private sectors, and community organizations. Those programs help make sure that people and communities are fully prepared for disasters and are able to recover from them. In today's show, Levy will share his insights on how FEMA trains, prepares for and responds to a crisis, and the important lessons you can learn from its experience. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Great to be here, Edward. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to a great discussion today. How does FEMA get ready to uh, prepare and respond to severe weather and natural disaster-related crisis situations? Absolutely. Well, well first of all, allow me to say that uh, we have the best mission in government, and I know you have a lot of listeners from throughout the federal family, but helping people before, during, and after disasters, that's our mission statement. And you couldn't ask for a better one um, as a civil servant or, or as a leader of civil servants. So how do you get ready for those crisis situations? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do is, number one, we understand that every community is different. Okay, and our job, especially on the preparedness side of the house, is to help both communities, whether that's local governments or community organizations, identify their risks, give them protective actions that they can take to help mitigate those risks, and then ensure that we're leading forward in what I call the response and recovery space to help them to help them after the disaster hits. So, from the response and recovery side of the house, um, I think the most important thing is you know FEMA is not the team; we're part of the team. And what I mean by that is, is that we have liaisons at places like the National Hurricane Center, where especially if you're thinking about hurricanes and other severe weather, um, having our people embedded there year round to make sure those relationships are built so that when a storm is coming, we're able to take the predictions from the hurricane center, get it to decision makers so we could put the right people, supplies, and other commodities downrange. And at the flip side, Edward, uh, here at FEMA's National Response Coordination Center, just at the next room, we have liaisons from every federal agency you could think about, from the Department of Defense to the Department of Interior. Uh, so the next thing that I was going to add was we also, and this is a big lesson learned, Edward, from um, Hurricane Katrina many years ago. We are no longer waiting to put commodities, 
people and capability downrange. So we do that in a number of ways. We have something called National Incident Management Assistance Teams, or IMAT teams. I have the honor of serving on one of them, actually. And what these teams do, especially for events that we have some notice, we put these teams downrange in state emergency operations centers. We embed them with the governors. We embed them with the decision makers at the state or tribal, tribal level before the storm hits to ensure that we can identify resources and get the people, the commodities, and the resources in place before the storm comes. And then after the hazard passes, we're able to surge capability uh, into those impacted areas. So again, it's a multifaceted approach, Edward, for making sure those individuals and community organizations, we're helping them communicate their risk and figure out ways to mitigate it and being able to lean forward with resources in collaboration with our partners at all levels of government. How did that advanced preparation work for uh, the uh, all the storms and hurricanes and tornadoes that we had last year? And how's it working out with those devastating historic floods that are uh, sweeping across uh, California? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I can speak with some personal experience from this. So from Hurricane Ian, this was the largest deployment. This is Florida uh, last year, last fall in September. This is one of the largest deployments of FEMA's urban search and rescue capabilities in the history of the agency. So the thing about Ian was, if you recall, Edward, as your listeners might recall, the original track it was looking like it was gonna be tracking up right into the Tampa Bay area to make significant impacts to Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg. What happened was, is that it suddenly ducked east uh, about 100 miles, 150 miles south of the Tampa Bay area and had significant impact to Sanibel Island, Fort Myers Beach, and other areas um, in those counties. So what we had already downrange in the state were several national incident management assistance teams and a plethora of urban search and rescue teams, which are not only FEMA teams, which actually are uh, trained, owned, and operated, as I say, by, by, local fire, by local fire chiefs and state and local government. But we also had teams from the Coast Guard and other federal agencies. So while the storm took a turn, we already had those assets downrange in the state so we could surge quickly. But Edward, the thing that I'm the most proud about, and what we're, what we're very proud about at FEMA is what we call continuous improvement. This is a lesson, these are lessons learned. And I'm sure any, any human being listening to our discussion right now, when they've done something, whether that's a project at work or even a family dinner, um, you figure out ways to do it better next time. And one of the big lessons learned coming out of Ian was we didn't have a unif an effective unified command over all of these urban search and rescue assets. We were kind of patching it together over the course of the storm. Still, still managed to save thousands of lives. But at the same time, a big lesson learned was if you're going to deploy all of these urban search and rescue teams at different points around the state or any geographic area, you want a strong unified command group that's both the federal state and local level to help prioritize those teams. Um, now, in terms of California, um, FEMA Region 9, led by uh, Bob Fenton, our regional administrator out there. Uh, for those of you who follow DOD, I like to think of Bob, what, um, what David Petraeus and Colin Powell might have been to uh, their generation of, uh, of military officers, Bob is to my generation of emergency managers. Um, him and Nancy Ward, who just, I think she's in her second week as the state director of emergency management over in California, um, we used a similar approach. So FEMA and our federal partners surged resources right when the storms were beginning to make sure that we were in Sacramento, 
in their state emergency operations center ahead of time so we could immediately get that situational awareness. So that's key. Any emergency manager that tells you that I've never been through a significant flooding event uh, without having um, unexpected hazards and unexpected risks come up, well, they're probably not being, they're probably not telling the whole story. So because we were leading forward at the beginning, and because during what we call blue sky days with California, we've done exercises, we've done training, we've provided hundreds of millions of dollars of Homeland Security grant funds, we were able to lean forward and provide the state with the support that they need. And I believe the president was actually there, I believe it was today or yesterday, making a site visit to really show people of California throughout the state um, our commitment and President Biden's commitment to making sure that we get them on the road to recovery as soon as possible. Well, in addition to the lessons that you learn from dealing with crisis, what lessons do you learn practicing or testing for them? Yeah, so I uh, so I am a huge fan of FEMA's National Exercise Program. Um, and we do this in two ways. So first, I'm gonna talk about what I call the exercises that are external facing. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tackle this in two ways. Um, one of the National Exercise Program is a jewel in um, the preparedness part of FEMA. And we do this in a couple of ways. So number one, we have the national level exercise. I, I promised the team here that I wouldn't uh, get us too bogged down with acronyms, so I'm gonna try to avoid that. But our national level exercise, or NLEs, I'll take one pass. Um, what these focus on, these are, these are uh, exercises that look at huge perspective events, whether, for example, a cyber attack that takes out critical infrastructure in multiple states, uh, an earthquake on the West Coast, which has, which has impacts throughout the coast from Southern California all the way up to Oregon and into Canada and Alaska. These are huge exercises where you have individuals from the private sector, community-based organizations, um, as well as state and local governments who are going to really go through a breadth and depth of risks a breadth and depth of unexpected injects, and they're really gonna see what they can do to break the system. And Edward, that's something I really want to stress. It's easy to exercise when you're a leader for the things you know you can handle, but it takes courage to exercise and get your staff to exercise for things that are gonna break the system. And I know the leaders in our International Exercise Division really try and push our stakeholders to have the courage to do that, and, and, and oftentimes they do. So those are the big NLEs. What the team also does is offer bespoke, as I call it, uh, exercises that deal with smaller events or smaller communities through whether that's an online system, the Homeland Security Exercise and Evaluation Program, or actually just working with the FEMA regions to reach out to a local stakeholder to say, hey, instead of doing a giant NLE, why don't we just do something small? eight to 15 people, let's exercise a risk that's unique to your community and see what lessons learned that you can have so you can move forward. Lastly, I'll say, looking internally, FEMA has an internal exercise program. Um, and our FEMA exercise program really focuses at what can we do to look at our existing planning, our existing doctrine, and our existing authorities to really make sure that we have what we need in place that we can bring not only FEMA, but the entire federal family to bear. Um, in the event of a hazard or an event. The last thing I'll say is no, exercises don't matter, Edward, unless you have continuous improvement. If you're just exercising to exercising, we're not being good stewards of taxpayer money, nor are we, nor are we um, fulfilling our responsibility to the American people. So the findings from those exercises go through our continuous improvement program, and we hold ourselves, and we work with our stakeholders to help hold them accountable for those lessons learned. So looking at the big picture, uh, what's FEMA's National Incident Management System and how does that help uh, local and state governments and the private sector uh, deal with uh, 
nature-related emergencies. Great. Thanks, Edward. Yeah, the National Incident Management System. So what I would say when you boil it all down and you, you, take, away the you take away some of the acronyms and a little bit of bureaucracy, it's a common operating picture. It's a common vocabulary and it's a common set of processes. So every day, you know, Edward, when you and I are having this conversation right now, when your listeners are listening to this podcast, there are people throughout the country who are collaborating at different levels of government and with the private sector and with community organizations to solve problems. What NIMS does and the Incident Command System, which is a component of the National Incident Management System, what that does is it gives all of those people from different levels of government, different walks of life, different backgrounds, a common vocabulary, a common organization structure, and common processes. So when all of these different players come together in an emergency operations center, we're all reading off the same sheet of music. What I like to say to folks whenever I get asked about the National Incident Management System, you can use it to plan a car trip or your next vacation. We're using it to plan, a, my team's using it to plan a conference for um, young youth leaders in preparedness because you have someone who's handling logistics, you have someone who's handling finance, you have someone who's oper handling operations, and someone who's handling external affairs, or uh, we call it ESF-15. So though applying the NIMS doctrine and those ideas to something simple in life, it actually helps organize any event, and we apply that here um, at FEMA and with our partners. And then uh, tell us about FEMA's National Risk Index. Um, how does that help businesses and organizations uh, prepare for disasters such as flooding, wildfires, uh, extreme heat, or, or even drought? No, that's, thanks Edward. So um, warning to you uh, and, and warning to all your listeners, I'm a huge disaster nerd uh, and I love data. Um, and what the National Risk Index does, it, it allows community leaders. And again, the key, the key component to emergency preparedness, mitigation, response, and recovery are the local level. If, the, if we're in ability, as I said before, to equip local governments and local leaders with accurate risk information that helps them drive decisions, we are succeeding in our role that has been prescribed to us by the president and by the Congress. So the National Risk Index, this is designed for if you are a two-person emergency management shop or a two-person urban planning shop in an underserved community, you can go to the National Risk Index, drill down to your community level and look at your risks, overlay your risks, overlay your hazards, overlay your socioeconomic data, and really get a sense of, I like to say, if I have $20 to spend on prevention and mitigation, where do I put that money? Where do I start? And the idea is the National Risk Index is an easy to use interactive online database to give that local leader that information, the guidance that they need. Because at the end of the day, you know, when you're doing risk reduction and trying to provide risk information, you have to mitigate the risks that you are the most vulnerable to. And what we know in a lot of communities, certainly at the state and local level, there is not an endless budget or an endless amount of money. So we're trying to help them make those informed decisions and the NRI is a great way to do that or the National Risk Index rather. So from your perspective, having uh, dealt with all these crises and being like you just said is a self-described uh, disaster nerd, what are the specific practical steps that uh, companies in the private sector can take to help prepare for, or, or even, I guess, best case scenario, help mitigate the impact of severe weather events? Absolutely. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick pitch for a program that I know my team at our Individual and Community Preparedness Division is proud of. It's called Organizations 
Preparing for Emergency Needs, or OPEN training. So this is designed for nonprofits, community-based organizations, faith-based organizations, and specifically small businesses. You know, Edward, when we were developing it, I had just started my job, and what I told my team was, I want a bodega owner in the Bronx to be able to look at this trading and see themselves the ability to take it. Or I want someone who owns a cattle feed store in Montana to be able to look at this trading and have it apply to them. That's a very hard task to do. But what it does is it tries to boil down preparedness and continuity to 10 simple actions that these business owners or nonprofit executives can take to make themselves more resilient. Because if you think about it, especially in underserved communities, where do people depend on? You know, I'm, the, I'm the child of a single mother. We grew up on a teacher's salary. And I know that my mom often depended upon nonprofit medical providers, or my mom volunteered at a food bank, or she volunteered as a substitute teacher, or my best friend's dad was the chief of the local fire department. What we're often realizing is these folks are not often talking to one another you know, during blue skies when there's not a disaster happening. So we developed the training to get all of those folks in the room so they could start to understand their own interdependencies and how they would work together and understand their risks during blue skies before a disaster absolutely hits. And we've had great feedback. We've had hundreds of thousands of people take our open training um, from small business owners um, to faith-based groups and everything in between. And I would strongly encourage your listeners to, to check it out. You can find it on ready.gov. Well, with all these tools and all these wonderful uh, resources, uh, this could be kind of overwhelming to people who are just trying to uh, get their heads around um, managing and preparing for a crisis and using your your tools. Uh, what uh, what should a corporate executive do, and in, in what order to uh, to get the most out of uh, your resources? Yeah, absolutely. And Edward, you, you raised a great point. Um, I, I get asked this all the time. You know, Aaron, you're throwing me National Risk Index, Open Trading, Ready.gov. Oi, you know, where do I even start? This is what I would tell you. If you're a corporate executive, first and foremost, what operations, you know, what revenue stream do you have to continue to meet your fiduciary responsibility to your board, to your shareholders, and to your customers? And once you get it boiled down to that, you can start to look at these various resources to figure out what you can do to help strengthen your organization. So number one, we always start with people. Whether you're an elite, a corporate executive, a trade association executive, a nonprofit executive, you're running a startup. If you don't have people who could provide those key services for your customers during a disaster, then you're probably gonna fail in your mission. So for us, being able to go to www.ready.gov and we have a laundry list of different hazards that provide specific guidance on what to do during a snowstorm, during a tornado, during a hurricane. I would first start with your people because if you have a resilient workforce, you're gonna have a resilient capability in your company to be able to deliver on and provide for those key services. I think number two, what are your interdependencies? And that's a fancy word that's thrown around Homeland Security, but here's what this means. Where are you getting your power source from? Where are you getting your water source from? What are your egress and exits for your, for your transportation modes, whether you're depending upon rail or uh, overland trucking or shipping? Uh, oftentimes when I'm going out and meeting with corporate executives, oftentimes I get a shrug to that answer, not because they haven't tried, but because there aren't the frameworks in place for all of these folks to be able to work together to understand one another. So if I'm a corporate leader, whether in the Washington area or elsewhere, I'm having my continuity folks, I'm having my chief of staff, whoever that might be, begin to not only say, all right, what do I have to do to prepare my workforce, but what 
commodities and uh, utilities and other, and other aspects do, do I depend on to meet what I've set out to do, my fiduciary responsibility to my board, to my shareholders, and to my customers. That's a great place to start, and our team at here at FEMA would be, we're here to support them in that endeavor. So if you would boil down to say uh, three or four points, what are the most important takeaways uh, corporate executives and even those in the government sector uh, should learn about uh, FEMA and how it prepares and responds to disasters? First point. We are part of the team, we're not the team. And a successful disaster response and recovery depends on collaboration between federal, state, local government, and the private sector, period. That's, I would say, point number one, real important takeaway. Point number two, uh, you know, FEMA will come and arrive on a disaster once the president, once the governor of that state or the leader of that tribe has asked for a disaster declaration. And I'm not gonna to get too in the weeds with that process. But what I would say is we're often, we are not the first responder, but we're here to support the first responders. So I think that's a huge takeaway when you think about what our role is in emergency management. Former administrator was very fond of saying the best disasters are federally supported, state managed, and locally led. So when a corporate executive is thinking about the role the federal government plays, I'd urge them to keep that in mind. I would say point number three, which is really important, is if you haven't already, start building a relationship with your local emergency manager. And I, and I know that is an easy talking point, but let me take you a, another step down there. What's your resource usage? What commodities are you providing? And in the event of a disaster, can that local emergency manager look to you as a corporate leader to either use your facilities, or to use some of your commodities, or some of your capability to help to respond to the hazard that they might be facing. The flip side, as a corporate leader, it's important for them to understand by speaking with their local emergency manager where all the different pieces of the puzzle fit together and what the planning is for that local area, both to prepare for, mitigate from, and respond and recover to disasters. So it's hard to boil it down to a couple of points. That's probably what I would do. And the final thing, what I, what I usually end um, you know, all of our discussions with is if you have it already, whether you're an individual or a business owner, please buy flood insurance. I cannot stress that enough. Um, if it rains where you are, it can flood. All very good points. I'm afraid we're almost out of time though, Aaron. Um, is there anything else you'd want to uh, touch on before uh, we end today? Well, no, Edward, thanks so much for having us. It's an honor to be here and speak on behalf of the administrator. Um, we're obviously, our thoughts and prayers, and more than that, our capability are with the people of California right now as they begin their road to recovery. And I would just leave folks with this. Check out www.ready.gov for a breadth and depth of information on how individuals and community organizations can prepare for a disaster. And again, if you're a corporate leader, I would say, what are those key components and those key commodities and capabilities you need to deliver to meet your fiduciary responsibilities? And moreover, what role can you play in your community to help it become safer and more resilient to disasters, especially for those in underserved areas? My guest today has been Aaron Levy, the director of FEMA's Individual and Community Preparedness Division. Thanks again for joining us. It's a pleasure, Edward. Ask me back anytime. My guest this week was Aaron Levy, the director of FEMA's Individual and Community Preparedness Division. Be sure to come back next week for more advice and insights on how to prepare for, manage, and recover from a crisis. Or subscribe to Crisis Ahead wherever you get podcasts. Remember, it's not a matter of if a crisis will hit your organization or company, it's when. And the sooner you're prepared for it, the better. Produced by HeartCast Media.